0: This is Clutch Fans! Call from the parking lot! The Rockets are going to bust and how sweet it is!
1: And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. I'm ready to get on Clutch fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory,
0: Dave Hardesty.
1: I am uh, honored to have with me today a good friend, um, a very familiar voice to both you and I, a longtime Houston sports radio host and CSN Houston's uh, Rockets digital reporter, and that's Adam Wexler. Adam, thanks for joining me. You bet, man.
0: Looking forward to this.
1: (laughs) You know, I have to tell everyone out there um, just that before games, you know, in the team cafeteria, the media room, uh, I have basically the pleasure of sitting at a table uh to eat with you uh, Jason Friedman, Craig Ackerman, Jonathan Fagan, MK Bauer, uh, Layla Rahimi and those are some of the most interesting and insightful rocket related conversations. I have to admit I I sometimes I don't even eat what what is in you know what they're serving in the cafeteria. I just go in there for the conversation. Uh, and so that's that's been a pleasure for me. So I'm 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 really glad to to have you on.
0: I'm surprised you haven't just popped your recorder out there and not let us in it and just fired it up. <laughs> There's a 30 minute podcast right there. Absolutely, there really is because it's some great uh, great stuff and
1: and we try to speculate on what this team can do to improve and uh, and it's fun. And I got to say, also, I think I speak you know for the majority of Rocket fans, if not Houston sports fans in general. Uh, in saying that we miss you and, and Matt Jackson on the big
0: show well I appreciate that I've definitely missed doing it interesting that uh, we, we're doing this podcast as we are today on this Monday I was just thinking how normally I wouldn't be here I would be at uh, the Super Bowl for Radio Row oh yeah so this is a difference for the last couple of years it's been that way but obviously covering the Rockets for CSN I'm locked in on that so that's cool too Speaking to the fans out there, if
1: you watch the games, uh, you know Adam is uh, providing a lot of insight uh, covering the team on the broadcast. Um, but if you haven't had a chance as well to check out Adam's work at CSNHouston.com, you really ought to do that. Um, Adam is at every home game and practice, uh, provides daily coverage of the team, uh, a lot of great articles and videos. There, a very valuable resource for Houston fans. You, you mentioned this uh, here at Comcast. How, how
0: has it been treating you so far? It's been great. It definitely gives you the opportunity to do pretty much anything since, you know, obviously most of it is the the TV product, but the the online product, especially in light of what's been going on for far, far too long. And I completely get it with everybody else. I am in the same boat as many of much of Houston in that regard, regarding CSN and distribution. And obviously everyone's working towards finding a solution. But, you know, most of the stuff, uh, interviews, packages, just the video stuff and especially the Sports Talk Live program and SportsNet Central, the the daily news program that's on three times daily. So much of that stuff is put online. Uh most of what you get from your one and only 24-hour lo- local sports station, CSN, you can find it on the website at csnhouston.com and I do personally, I just do tons of stuff that it doesn't necessarily even get on TV. It's just stuff I do strictly for the web. Uh, Game days, I'll put videos up before the game. I'll recap the game afterwards in addition to writing all those stories. And then, yes, you will see me on a a lot of their shows, but uh, there's just everything that has to do with the Rockets I I have a hand in, and it's been great. Obviously, I'm a Houstonian, and I've worked to cover the Rockets for many years. I was lucky enough to work with the team when I was on the broadcast team a couple of years ago. And I want to not be able to say this anymore, Dave, I want to not be able to say the last time the Rockets won a playoff series, I was on the broadcast team, but until they win another one, the last time they won one i was I was with them they in Portland and then when they lost to the Lakers in the second round, so maybe this is the year where that finally goes away. <laughs> That'd be nice, you know, and that's a perfect segue
1: into the team. I want to really dive in and 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 uh pick your brain on the Rockets. Uh, you know, they have a couple big matchups coming up uh, tonight against San Antonio on the tail end of a back to back. They have Dallas. Uh, but first, you know, this has just been a very hard team to figure out uh, in many ways. You know, that now infamous home loss to the Thunder, the you know 73 point first half, 19 point second half has almost summed up the season, even though they have a pretty good record right now. Uh, you know, they, they scored 126 against the Blazers on national television. Uh, dropped 119 on the injury-depleted Kings, and then they just ran into a defensive buzzsaw, uh, you know, averaging 84 points over two games in back-to-back losses here to Memphis. In your opinion, what went wrong in these two games?
0: Uh, they ran into a team that has a very clear uh, plan of attack against Houston, and really Memphis uses that same thing against everybody else. And, and the worst part about it is uh, the Rockets have played that team twice with lesser talent because Mark Gasol wasn't there, because Courtney Lee wasn't there, and they knew what they could do to them. They were lucky to get those two wins. And, yes, the Rockets played one of those first two games without James Harden, uh, but they got basically nothing from Dwight Howard in either of those games. And they ended up getting, you know, two games to none lead going into these two games. But, you know, Memphis, they played Memphis style of basketball all four games, and these last two obviously were the worst two. The second of the two, a blowout. Uh, that's the disappointing part. And it was nice to see Kevin McHale today when we talked to him after practice. Uh, it was, you know, 36 hours later or whatever. He seemed genuinely ticked off still about yeah. what happened in the second game against Memphis. And, and he even said after the first game, we, they would have gotten blown out if it wasn't for Chandler Parsons catching fire. They lose both games. And I was talking to Chandler after that game saying, you know, you broke, and you were there, you broke Jeremy Lynn's record along with Robert Ory. And as we were all walking away, I mentioned to Chandler, you know, Jeremy hit nine threes earlier this year, and now you've hit ten, and they've both come in losses. And for a team who has been near the top of the league in offensive, a lot of offensive numbers, and clearly their defense isn't statistically great, but they, to me, sure have a lot of losses that have piled up because they've run into offensive ruts, and that's what happened against Memphis. They aren't pushing the ball to the basket and kicking it out uh, they weren't running through Dwight and back out. Usually if Dwight got the ball against Memphis, he either he basically just shot it or got fouled or turned it over or got fouled and they didn't call it. But they weren't working through him. He probably didn't get enough touches to begin with. And their guards and their penetrators, just they just really didn't force the action hardly at all. And, again, this was a game without, without Tony Allen. And James Harden still did very, very little in back-to-back games yeah. against them. This was – I mean, Memphis is good and, and clearly – much better than they were at the beginning of the season, much better with Gasol. And the Courtney Lee trade so far in season is clearly the best move any team in the NBA has made. Uh, so that's going to make a difference, and I do think that is a playoff team. When If they stay healthy the rest of the way, they'll make the playoffs. But the Rockets, they can't just play good defenses and lose. But so far this year, that's essentially what's happened, OKC, Indiana, and lose badly.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think you just nailed it there. And, it, you know, my opinion, I think what makes that Rockets offense special or what should make it special this year, uh, you know, is is Harden's penetration scoring, creating ability, uh, Howard's sort of attention-drawing presence, and the three-point shooting. And I think just all three, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do when all three are have have abandoned you, or I should say have been taken away from you because Memphis' defense is is that good you know, you nailed it about Harden. I, I don't understand that with, with Tony Allen out, I thought we'd see Harden uh, perform a little bit better, but Courtney Lee uh, certainly outplayed him in the first game, but I thought pretty much uh, matched him in the second. Um, and Dwight Howard just has not had an impact on Memphis. It's been, it, it goes back a ways. Uh, I think we saw that game in Memphis earlier in the year where Omer Asik completely played the, the entire fourth quarter. Um, and that's when the Rockets turned this, uh, that game completely around and so i think uh you know they, they could have used Oshik, but uh, to see all three of those things sort of be taken away I, they're just not going to be able to compete you can't expect yeah. a guy like a beverly or a parsons to to carry you in that
0: no they three-point shooting against memphis chandler hit his 10 in a row around those 10 in a row or around his 10 of 14 in that friday night game the rest of the team was four of 20 And through three quarters of the game the next night, and it was over after three quarters, the benches got emptied in the fourth quarter, the Rockets, again, as a team, were 4 of 20. They're not going to win games. They are built a certain way to hit threes, to push the ball, to hit free throws or get to the free throw line and make layups. Three things, layups, free throws, and three-pointers and the three-pointers have really been bad. I mean, they're in the bottom ten of the league and have been there almost the entire season. That's the biggest difference offensively last year to this year. Last year they were in the top ten, and this year they're in the bottom ten. And Really the only major player difference is uh, Delfino out and Garcia and Caspi in, but the guys that were there last year that are back, most of them are just not shooting the ball well this year.
1: Yeah, and and that it leads into exactly what I want to talk about is how big of a problem that has been. You you nailed it. Uh, you know they're I think 24th in accuracy is what I had at last check, and uh, they are leading the league in three point attempts per game. It is a huge part of their offense, and they've just been a very poor three point shooting team this year. I I think it really it starts with James Harden because I think Harden's 32%. Uh, and coming into the year he's a career 37 percent a three-point shooter you know, that is killing you because there's nothing you can do about that I mean James if James Harden is just shooting poorly you're, you're not going to bench him you know you can find role players around your stars but if Harden's shooting 32 percent you've uh you know it, it hurts your team I think he will bounce back I think we'll see him him come up but you know you're you're now running a power forward that is not a three-point shooter in Terrence Jones you're your three-guard lineup, which dominates your backcourt, uh, Harden, Beverly, Lynn, all below average this year. Um, Parsons is now, after that 10-for-14 night, is, is at 40%. He's been very good. And Aaron Brooks has been pushed out of the rotation uh, with with Beverly coming back and, and Lynn going to the bench. And he's your best three-point shooter this year. So I, that's a huge problem. In your opinion, what can they do here to fix this issue?
0: Yeah, I wrote about that today, that the three-point shooting is an issue, and Chandler's at uh, a shade over 40%, like you said. If you take those 10 in a row he made out, he's back under 37%. And, and I think you're right. It it It's really surprising that Harden has gone down this much. When they acquired him from Oklahoma City... He was a 39% three-point shooter. His third year in the mm-hmm. league, he had gotten it all the way up to 39%, and last year was fine at 37. But obviously, a some decline. This year, at 32. That's basically unacceptable. Uh, it, it, that's bad. That's not what you want. And I don't. I've had a bunch of people as the a couple of these losses and a couple of these offensive games of inept offense have come up. A lot of people are asking, well, why do they keep doing this? Why can't they take 15 footers? Why don't they do something else? They're obviously not making them and I still don't have any issue with their philosophy on, on what they're trying to do and creating yeah. all these open looks. I, I At the beginning of the year and now, I don't. I would more lean on questioning who they have and, and how they're utilizing them and what could be done a little bit differently. And that's why I think the next three weeks are probably worth watching, knowing yeah. what the general manager likes to do. I like that they pursued Mike Dunleavy. I think he would have been really helpful to this team. Uh, flexible because he's such a, you know, it's just a bigger player. And the way they like to use Delfino last year and the way they are using Caspi this year, and they hoped to use Garcia this year, I think he would have fit right in. And to me, he's the best shooter of those four. Uh, just obviously didn't work out. It was a little bit more expensive. But I, I do think they, while they could help themselves in a number of ways, I think they need someone who can shoot threes. I don't know how many minutes and at yeah. what position they're going to find that player, but they're not going to go anywhere if they're You know, if they a 34% three-point shooting team. It's pretty hard for them to win a seven-game series against the team when on average they're making 34% of their threes. They'd have to be hot for four or, s- four or five games when if they were just a good shooting team, you could shoot 37% on average every night, and I'd, I'd feel so much better about their chances. And, and I think it starts with James. If Harden can you know, have a better second half shooting, uh, I think it starts there because they sure seem to usually when somebody starts making a few others follow, but most of the season nobody's been making them and they've all followed.
1: I agree with you. I think that that their philosophy is fine. I think when you've got Harden and Howard, I mean, they're built to create these type of opportunities. I A guy like Courtney Lee, I I overlooked him a little bit because of his contract. I didn't think it was the right fit for what they want to do long term, but he certainly would have uh, had uh,
0: an impact here. Yeah, and even saying that, think about that. Courtney Lee, really, really good in Memphis. He's getting 32 minutes a night. He's starting. He's taking the place of a completely inept offensive player in Tony Allen. So from Memphis' standpoint, makes perfect sense. He's going to get his minutes He's going to earn more minutes, and he's going to make them a better team. I thought they had defensive overkill with Conley, Gasol, Prince, and Allen starting. That's why I've always hated Memphis, and now I'm starting to become a little more afraid of Memphis because they're (laughs) doing it right. But if Courtney Lee's on the Rockets, as good as he is and as great as he fits in there, how do you get him on the court for useful minutes every single night? Because the Lynn-Beverly combination is something I like. Clearly Harden's going to play 35 minutes a night. And if, if Lee's out there playing any three, then you're tiny. So it, it's he would have fit. He is a nice player. But he plays the same position of one of the players who rarely sits. It's just it's tough to, to have made that work. But, yeah, I think it would have helped this team because they would have found five minutes where he would have hit his threes. And that would have mattered. Let me ask you, late-game play calling, did you have a,
1: you know, in that first – home game against Memphis you know there was a one-point game they went twice down the stretch to uh, really I don't want to say isolation plays they tried to run a pick and roll uh, with Parsons and Dwight but it, the ball was in Parsons hand to create uh, versus a, a, your star in in Harden in you know him getting the ball did you have a problem with the the late game play calling
0: I didn't like Either of the last two shots that Parsons took, one, he ended up taking down the right side and basically went at Gasol and threw up a shot over him that had very little chance to go in. And keep in mind, Chandler had a career-high 34 points, and 10 of them, 10 of the shots were on consecutive three-pointers over the course of almost 22 minutes of the second half. He didn't do anything else. He made 10 threes, but he didn't have 50 points He wasn't driving to the hole. He wasn't beating guys off the dribble. He wasn't going to the free throw line. He was simply making threes. He was basically Kyle Korver. He didn't do anything else. So to think two plays in the final, you know, almost two minutes, because he scored his last point, I think it was 151 on the clock when he closed them to within one, and nobody scored again after that. They were two plays. They basically hadn't run successfully the entire game. And honestly, the last play of the game, when they threw it into Parsons out top, That's a play, while he may have run some pick and roll, I don't think he's run any pick and roll the entire season from that position on the court from that far away, and you're doing that against a very good defensive team, and he's not the greatest creator. So I I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, Dwight didn't set a particularly good screen, but Chandler didn't set his man up particularly well, and I think that's what kind of led the play to disintegrate Uh, Harden cut to the basket and there was really no angle for Parsons to either see him or get the ball there his desperation pat to Beverly could have just as easily gone the other way because Lynn was coming around and he might have had an open look but once he he was headed down to that side of the court you know what was done was done and to think they came out of a timeout and that's what they went with again I wouldn't have done that but there's other things that they've done that I wouldn't have either that have worked I just I wasn't a fan of that play now yeah I'm with you on that
1: I you know, I, I know McHale gets a lot of criticism for uh, relying on Harden isolation plays or hero ball. And I've never uh, had a problem with that, at least not to, to the degree that, that he was being criticized for, because I feel like Harden's creative ability is what, you know, the, going to that is a good thing. And I I think, uh, you know, it was sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't in this instance. And he was criticized for the opposite. But, I, you know, Harden was struggling offensively, but he did have a career-high 13 assists. I'm right. sure that, I'm sure that you know, in the final seconds, it's uh, the overwhelming number of, you know, the percentages Harden's going to shoot the ball as opposed to create. But still, I think the ball should have
0: been in his hands. Yeah, on this night, I think that I would have taken my chances with him considering a pass because he passed the ball to Parsons all night and he'd been making everything. And, yeah. and that's the guy, you know, you may want Parsons taking the final shot, but that doesn't mean you necessarily have to throw him the ball 25, 28 feet from the basket to get it. Let Harden, I know Harden was poor. You know, having a bad night. He was, what, 2 of 11 and 2 of 9 in the two of the three games back-to-back before that last game, 6 of 11. Um, he was not shooting well, and he wasn't getting the types of shots he makes, but so what? Let him go 3 for 12 and hit a game winner. I, I think that's something they're much more comfortable doing. And at the end of the game, with that little time left, less than 10 seconds, that's... I would never. I wouldn't call that a hero ball. You're throwing it into your best player, and you're hopefully setting up either a pick and roll or a situation where he's got one on one. He and the guy and he, you feel like, well, I'll take Harden to beat just about anybody to at least create. That's what I would have done in that situation, and then I would have trusted James on that night to either take the shot or you know get his fourteenth assist. <laughs> right. I think the Rockets
1: injury situation has been probably underrated by national media. They don't, haven't had that big injury, but they've had a lot of small ones and, and Omer Asik being out now almost two months, uh, you know, this is a guy who had never missed a regular season game before in his career, 239 straight games, uh, you know, before he refused to play in that game in New York, uh, you know, he was listed as ill or sick, but, you know, it was later talked about how he was a little upset, uh, He's now missed 27 games um, straight for an injury that, you know, fans didn't see was originally listed as a thigh contusion. Uh, We also don't see him on the bench with the team, uh, which sort of gets some people upset. Should fans, in your opinion, be upset right now? Or from everything you've gathered uh, in talking to the team, is this
0: an injury that legitimately has him out this long? I mean, last two times we've been on the practice court, and that includes Monday's practice, uh, he was there. He's not practicing with the team. Uh, Neither is Greg Smith, and for that matter, neither was Francisco Garcia, but he is out there working uh, physically with the coaches and working on staying, you know, for Omer, quote-unquote, his moves, and his, his work in the paint, and his footwork, and just stuff like that, and from all I've gathered, yes, it's this legitimate injury, because... And not only I know that because that's what I've been told and and I've talked to the training staff and I've talked to the Rockets and it's a legitimate injury that they continue to send him to doctors for because they were puzzled by it as well. You know, to have a thigh injury, which then end up leading to some knee problems, just soreness. Basically, the harder he would work at trying to come back, the more rehab he would go through or the more running he would do. Uh, And this is probably back more December than January. He was, it wasn't getting better. The more he did, the more it hurt, the more soreness he had. And I, right around the time, I can't remember which trip the team went on, one of their longer trips, probably one of the trips out to the West Coast, maybe Sacramento and Portland, uh, he was, you know, I saw him at practice that day, and he went to the doctor when they went to the plane, and they were still trying to diagnose exactly what was causing this because obviously it's not what they expected. They expected the work that he was doing and the rehab that he was doing, to you know, move him closer to getting back, not the other way around. And I think it was Thursday before the first of the two Memphis games, I think McHale said normally when guys are, are in this situation where they're now, you know, they're out on the court a little bit, they're working with the trainers out here, and, and Omer's done that a lot more than we've seen. So it, ha- it has happened uh, probably for more than just a week, maybe more like a week to ten days or two weeks. He said at this point he normally expects to hear something from the trainers sort of a countdown clock, like, okay, Hmm. we expect five to seven days, or maybe it's 10 to 14 days, but he hasn't gotten one yet on Omer, so he doesn't really ever have an update for us. That's kind of what he's waiting for, to give it a timetable. I think it's close to getting that. I had been led to believe sometime maybe before the end of January was a possibility for him to return to practice. It looks like now it's probably more into the first seven to 10 days of February, but still in advance of well, the All-Star game, but much more importantly, I think, to everybody listening, uh, in advance of the 20th of February, which is the trade deadline. Uh, pretty hard to trade Ashik if he hasn't played for two months. Yep. He knows that. The Rockets know that. And it's just, it happens this way where it doesn't look good, but there's really just no good reason for him not to be out there. There really isn't. His trade value has diminished. The value of his contract to other teams it dwindles every minute we talk, every yeah. day that goes by, every week that goes by. So there's no advantage to Omer if he wants to get out, or to the Rockets if they want to move him out, to keep him off the court if he's just pouting or sulking or healthy. So I just I don't believe that that's the case. But your question still was, should the fans be upset? And at you know, I'm, I'm yeah at the beginning of it for sure. What he did was that's not good. And I know there were guys on the team that were first they were shocked because Omer was such a good regular old Joe on the team last year just a good guy yeah. everybody liked him and he worked hard and that's what you want in your teammates and then for him to do what he did this year I think it took a lot of the the guys who had been with him for that full season it took him by surprise and they were pretty ticked off and the team had some talks about it to you know clear it with the team and the coaches and the players and I think everything's fine on that front it's just it's been a very long waiting game and since Greg Smith's been out for most of it too, it's really been, you know, twofold painful.
1: Yeah. And it's almost an unfortunate situation in, in that, you know, it is a legitimate injury and the mysteriousness around it just uh, with the situation before with the trade demand and, and sort of not uh, being willing or able to play in, in a couple of games before it just, it, it, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, and I'm with you, everything that I've been hearing is this, you know, cause I've been trying to investigate as well, uh, I come up with the conclusion that everybody would have to be in on it if, if it wasn't legitimate. And, and that's just not the case. Trainers on down and, and everyone. So, um, you know, I, everyone here on, on, you know, the fans, I should say all these, these issues that we've discussed, it, it all boils down to one question for whatever reason uh, right now. And that's whether Patrick Beverly or Jeremy Lin should be starting. Um you know, right now, both of these guys, uh, are struggling offensively. Beverly had that one for 11 night at home against Memphis. Um, the four games since he's been back, I think he's shooting just over 26% from the field, about 31% from three. Uh, Lynn has been held to single digits in five of the last six games, uh, shooting 36% and 26% from three during that stretch. And for whatever reason, um, you know, Since that 9-for-15 night that you mentioned where he had at the time tied the franchise record for made threes in a game, he's shooting a little over 24% from three-point range, and that was over two months ago. Uh, in your opinion, who, which one of these players should be starting for this team?
0: I think the team's better if Jeremy Lin can play up-tempo, fast-paced, ball domination with the second unit. That's when he's at his best. Uh, creating for himself with those guys as much as creating for others – but that's the style where he's at his best. And, you know, Beverly can push the ball, and I, I'm sure they they move the ball, and the offense might flow if he were with the second unit. And, but I do think it's better the way they have it. I think they're doing the right thing. I thought they did the right thing from the, the start of the season. Uh, Beverly's been a disaster offensively since he came back, by the way. In these four <laughs> games, he's just been... Useless is not quite right, but it's close. Uh,
1: you know inside, <laughs> some of the inside shots that he's missed, well, like a couple of laps, the Three
0: point line, he's made eleven shots in four games, and oh, he, he's eleven for forty-two overall. Overall, he's eleven for forty-two. He's shooting better from behind yeah, the three-point yeah. line than he is from inside the three-point line in these four games. Uh, and he, you know, he's he only has two turnovers, which is the the thing that almost always gets overlooked. Now, clearly, he doesn't have the ball as much as Lynn. He doesn't have the ball as much as really anybody else he's out there with. So there's a little bit of, of cloudiness to, to, to really sticking on those numbers, but there is something to it. He's played in four games, three of them are t- with zero turnovers. That does matter. That's, one, that's a possession you don't lose. That's five possessions you don't lose yeah. over the course of a game versus other guys that might handle. But I, I, I wish Lynn had done more with the time that Beverly was out and whether that and and Jeremy's been pretty good about dissecting what's been good or bad both for the team or for him you know he's been out there with second unit guys he's been out there with first unit guys he's played with James he's played with Pat he's played in pretty much every combination and he just hasn't sustained strong offense for long periods of time this year when because of all their other injuries especially when he got healthy I thought that he would and those first three games when he came back mid-December, right before Christmas, I think it was, he was he was good. That was the best sustained overall play and offensive play. I think he's had the entire year, but it just didn't last particularly long. And you mentioned three-point shooting. That's just, you know, we can pick on Jeremy if we want, but we'd have to be fair to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Let's put them all together. They're all doing the same thing. And you got guys shooting in 25% and below, and he happens to be one of them. It's it's not good enough. You you can't win like that because teams Memphis did it more than anyone has yet. And I think everyone will start to do what Memphis did. They're now leaving guys open. It's the Rockets aren't working to get open shots. They're being given open shots because they're not making them. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, uh, you
1: know, we talked about those, the three point shooting particularly, I think that sort of leads into the, the trade deadline. I, uh, You know, it's a little over three weeks away now. It's February 20th. Um I think this is probably one of the most interesting trade deadlines we've seen in a while, you know, because we're used to the team trying to get that big star or what have you. Now, uh, this is a tough juggling act for Daryl Morey. He's got Parsons contract uh, a decision coming up, whether it's this summer or next summer uh, over his head. Um, I think he sees the win now urgency, but he also knows he has this. One shot to really add that third player. So does he, you know, make that sacrifice now? Can he afford to give up, you know, flexibility and assets for a simple upgrade? Uh, what are you expecting from the Rockets, uh, you know, between now and, and February twentieth?
0: Well, when you look at their roster, one thing that would, one thing that it looks like it's there is, you know, I didn't understand it the day they signed him, but the fact that he's still here means he must be some sort of contract value in a trade, and that's Ronnie Brewer. He doesn't make very much money, so I'm not really sure why that's of any benefit to to Daryl to use as some sort of addition to a trade. But I can't figure out any other reason why he was here, or honestly, why he was signed. The problem is those, you know, two players in Lynn and Oshik, That's that's an awful lot of money for a GM to sell to his owner. You know, while you only have to get hit with an eight. $8 million cap at neighborhood of next year, you still have to pay him 15, roughly $15 million in real salary. Yeah. And for who they are, I think that makes it very difficult to move. Harden and Howard obviously aren't going anywhere, so now what? You have basically Moda Yunus as really your only – or Terrence Jones, your only useful – Basketball players that you can trade, guys who might actually help another team win a basketball game. And that's almost a stretch to say that about Demo. I mean, we, we've seen flashes, but his flashes last about 21 minutes before he fouls out. And Terrence, if the Rockets were considering trading Terrence Jones, I don't want to put him on some crazy pedestal, but he's exactly what they should want to keep. He makes no money and he's playing well above his value. That's yeah. how you win. You you have guys like that on your team, guys like Parsons. So I, they're going to make a deal because that's what they do. But I just don't think I I can't imagine it being anything of great significance. It might do something to help their rotation. Might be something to help their depth. I, I wish I could say it was going to be something sexier than that, but I'm not sure that anybody out there. You know, I know Rondo's name is bouncing all over the place, but I don't see it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think Terrence Jones is a, is a. A good name to focus on on this trade deadline because I think it really shows the, you know, win now versus, uh, you know, develop for the future. And at the same time, he's he's adding an impact right now with this team. But I think his development, you know, he had that 36 point game is going to open some eyes. I think he is in, in right now not having that that top draft pick or whatever. He is your best piece. That they have uh, to get in the discussion for a bigger win now player. He doesn't have the problem that No Merashik has, and that he's a hard sell to a rebuilding team. I think that I don't know if they would trade him necessarily at this deadline, but I and he's fitting in, like I said, nicely with uh, with as you said with Dwight Howard. But I just I tend to think he is now your top trade asset for finding that third player, and I don't think he's you know unless he significantly develops is enough to you know along with additional assets to get a Kevin Love type, but they don't have any of the picks or or uh, young players that uh, they had when they made the Harden trade. And if they're looking to add that big third player uh, down the line, I think Terrence Jones right now is your leading candidate. Yeah, uh, and
0: you're coach. looking at it from the other team's perspective, and you should. When they look at the Rockets roster, of course he, he has to stand out to other teams. You know, he's making first round, middle of the first round pick money for each of the next three seasons, which is, you know, in NBA money next to nothing. And he's an ascending player. They rarely run plays for him, but he really can do. I think other GMs who may have liked him coming out of Kentucky that just hadn't really paid a whole lot of attention since they're seeing him do all the things that maybe they thought he could. And I'm sure that there are GMs that really liked him then and and thought, well, maybe this is a guy that could help us, but. Yeah, they still need something much, much better than that. And and I don't fault them. You, at some point, if you trade for a James Harden and you, you let some guys go to have the room to sign Dwight Howard, well, you can't expect to still still maintain those assets. You moved out a lot of tradable assets in Kyle Lowry, in a lottery pick, in Jeremy Lamb, in a high second-round pick. Yeah. You moved all those pieces well to land an all-star. So you just can't have that many left to go land another. And honestly, their third star is... Is Chandler, and, and I think that's probably who it's going to be th- through most of Dwight and James' time together here. Uh, I think that's going to end up being your next best player. I, I, if they can get something better than that, then Daryl see something out there that I don't. Or there's some GMs out there that are really giving up.
1: Yeah, you know, I I just I wonder if he would cash in early. I mean, I I, the name that comes to mind is is a Paul Millsap type. I mean, it it appears that they've struck out trying to get Millsap for like an Oshik type. But if Terrence Jones was somehow involved, does that change things for Atlanta? And that's just speculation, but that that makes you wonder if you know Daryl doesn't go with somebody a little bit more solid, more experienced, certainly uh, defensively, um, maybe not athletically uh, athletically like Jones, but defensively and knowing the right spots and pick and roll defense Millsap gives you know probably more of what he would be looking for there but uh, you know i think i think we'll probably hear jeremy lynn's name floated out there I'm, I'm not don't know if he'll be traded don't think necessarily he would be i just think you'll hear his name in rumors similar to Oshik. um but i think above all they need a six through eight guy i mean they could they could try to make the upgrades um but someone who can really provide a spark on the defensive end or on the three-point shooting end like you mentioned Levy at uh, Dunleavy, uh, uh I think he's really ideal fit, like a career 37 to 38% shooter. Uh, basically it's been 40% or better now for four seasons, you know, with the Pacers, Bucks, Bulls. Uh, I think he just fills that Garcia Caspi role a little bit better. I think that's what they need more than anything is, is some, uh, an offensive spark off the bench, something that they can count on. And uh, somebody like Dunleavy and his three point shooting might be what they would target.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of people, players they could target. It's just, I don't know what what would make the other teams want to move them. And you know, an Oshik deal for Millsap, I mean Atlanta really they're stuck. They're going to the playoffs. They're not going to get in the lottery because of it. And and Brooklyn's playing well. Yeah, I just don't know that those teams can expect to get something out of that for next year. They're all going to be drafting between about 14 and 17 as the or 15 and 17, 15 and 18, some of the lower end of the East uh, all those teams that make the playoffs are going to be the first teams to draft. As soon as the lottery ends, uh, I, I'm not sure that that does anything for them. I mean, Ashik and Horford and Teague next year with Korver, it, all they ended up doing is signing Millsap in the offseason to move him for Ashik, who gets 15 million cash next year. I don't, I don't think that's something they would do. And Millsap's played pretty well with Horford, and even better without him. He also would bring. I, I would be fine with that because he. Is much more of an edgy player than anybody the Rockets have. That includes Dwight, and that includes James James Harden. You know, Memphis clearly pushed the Rockets around. Uh, Mikhail even said they beat us up, and Dwight Howard said they're rough, they're physical, they beat us up. Well, I think that might be different if they had a you know a more experienced, bigger, tougher player like Millsap. But I'm not just trying to match up with Memphis. had not been a huge problem against too many other teams. But against the better teams, Rockets are clearly better if they had Millsap. But, again, I, I don't – I'm not sure what would make Atlanta want to do that. You would clearly have to move Terrence Jones to the yeah. to do that. But I don't know what that they want Terrence Jones and Al Horford as their 4-5 and five moving forward. Yeah. Well, I was almost
1: even wondering if it was an Oshick Jones you – know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm way into speculation, Bill. But, you know, Oshick Jones for Millsap plus additional, something that would fill a role for Houston. But – uh but yeah and let me throw one name out there just just for your reaction Kyle
0: Lowry that's uh, interesting you brought this up I don't know what this buddy of mine went to college with him he's in Dallas so there's a couple he and a couple other guys are Dallas guys Maverick guys and then there's a couple guys in the group are San Antonio guys Spurs guys and of course I'm a Rockets guy and we we're all in school in the early 90s so at that time I had scoreboard. Rockets won their two titles. San Antonio hadn't done Diddly yet. The Mavericks hadn't done anything yet. It's been a long time since the Rockets won those titles. And one of the guys in Dallas, and I'm not really sure why, maybe it's because he thinks it just gets me riled up, he can't stop bashing the Rockets GM, Daryl Morey. Hmm. Just makes the worst trades makes the worst decisions on his coaches, he's going through Van Gundy, he's going through Adelman, and now he's got the The team was better before he got there, they had all these 50-win seasons, and now they're winning in the 40s, and they haven't won a playoff series, but everyone's telling you that Daryl Morey's all great and whatever. And so the latest, literally just today, he sent out a tweet that said it's just bashing Morey and going back and forth. He goes, well, Lowry and and Dragic are both going to be all-star reserves this year. And what kind of moves, the worst trades ever. Just let him go for nothing, which, of course, isn't quite accurate since <laughs> right. they used Lowry to get James Harden. So that was basically my response about both the Dragic and the Lowry exodus. Clearly, they both, both weren't going to be all-stars together here, so that's one thing. You used Lowry to get Harden, who yeah, was yeah. an all-star, and understanding why they wouldn't want Dragic on a 30-some-odd million-dollar deal over four years considering what they ended up doing in its place, Dwight Howard, makes sense. When Lowry and Dragic were in your backcourt, the Rockets had zero All-Stars. Those two guys are zero-time All-Stars. But the Rockets now have two All-Stars, presumably, by Thursday night when the reserves get announced. Lowry's been very good, but you you probably have, have done this a time or two. Go check out Lowry's numbers. His uh, per 36s and his, his PER and all that stuff for his last year in Houston and his first year or, or this year in Toronto. They're almost identical, hmm. but he could be an all-star because he's in the East. I think Mark
1: Stein had tweeted something yesterday about uh, Toronto still considering trading him, but nobody's really giving much for a guy who could walk at the end of the year. I did wonder a little bit if they, the Rockets got creative. I, I, he had some issues with Mikhail while he was here. I don't know if that would, would kill that, but I, it just makes you wonder. I mean, the Rockets have to deal with what's out there in the market, and if Kyle Lowry is on the market and, and they could maybe use some help at point guard, it just made me wonder whether they would you know, possibly pursue him.
0: For basketball, I mean, just basketball playing, the way he plays and what he does, I think it would be great. You know, he, he does basically a combination of what Lynn and Beverly do all in one body. He throws his body around. He'll get other guys involved. He's fearless. He's much better shooter than anyone ever dreamed he could be when Daryl acquired him the first time. The guy was shooting under 30% from three-point land, and now he's been in the neighborhood of 40% two years running. That, that's a phenomenal work. Is what he's put in. He's just put in work. He just takes shots, hundreds, thousands of shots over the years to get better at it, and he is better. And what he, and I'm not sure how many people saw what the, the Raptors did on Monday night, he was sensational. You know, they have some injury issues right now because DeRozan is out, and most of these guys have taken off since they traded Rudy Gay because that's what teams do when they trade Rudy Gay, they get better. <laughs> Lucky for Sacramento, this is the first time the team that got Rudy Gay also got better. But with Lowry being the best player, and yes, I think he's a better player than DeRozan is right now. DeRozan a bigger scorer, but I think Lowry's the the key to that team. He has been good, and he's legitimately among the guys in the pool for Eastern Conference All-Star. And I can envision him, I mean, if you put the way he's playing, and he continued to make shots at that clip, but he was giving you a little bit of that bulldog point guard, the great to me great basketball attitude as long as he knows when to you know put a cap on it yeah those things would to me fit very well on this team but i i think he still has a tendency to be a little of his own guy not be a not as much of a team guy not as not a great locker room presence certainly not his last couple of months here and most of his last year here in Houston and there's always that bit of me that thought he signed originally signed that restricted free agent deal with Cleveland, that four years, six million dollars no. a year deal, he's in the last year of now, and I don't think it was all because he wanted the Rockets to match it and bring him back. I think it's because he wanted the money and wanted to go off, and that's that's my team now. That's who I'm gonna you know do what I do for, and so I'm not sure that he ever was in the best state of mind when he came back after that deal and. You know, Aaron Brooks, this is his second tour of duty with the Rockets, and to me he's a totally different guy. He's a phenomenal locker room guy now, and the end of his days in Houston were kind of sour. So maybe Lowry would be like that when he came back, but That's
1: a good it's point. another
0: one I really don't see happening. And, and if I'm Toronto, I, I would hate to lose him for nothing, but, my gosh, you're just saying, hey, fans, stop coming. We're not trying. And they're not going to get that from where they are now. They're 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 almost locked into the playoffs no matter how badly they play because I'm not sure they could fall to ninth so even if they did their chances of really striking it rich in the lottery aren't that good.
1: Yeah, there you have it, man. I uh, again, you, Adam, I appreciate it. you can catch all of uh, Adam's work covering the Rockets on CSNHouston.com. Uh, he's done a tremendous job in my opinion establishing that site as a primary source uh, for Houston sports news. Man, Adam, we need to do this again. I loved it, and uh, thanks again for coming on.
0: No, I appreciate it, and you're absolutely right. We do need to do this again. I didn't even look at the clock once. It's so easy (laughs) to talk all this. Oh, it's great. I do feel a little bit like we did a little radio show here, and you know that makes me happy. (laughs) Awesome, man. We will do it. I'll
1: definitely plan on it. Thanks again.
0: You got it.